Each year, as Christmas draws near, there is something special in the air. We all feel it. From the decorations and carols, warm drinks and cozy slippers, it's as if the season taps into a holy longing deeply ingrained within us. You see, this season stirs up within our souls a burning desire we were created to crave. The advent of our King, the arrival of our Savior, our God come near. All of our lives we've experienced the curse of the fall, the shadow that sin cast upon this wounded world. But with the arrival of Jesus, hope came down, love drew near, our King came to conquer. Death will be no more. Shame will be undone. For with the advent of Jesus, the curse is broken. Oh, how are we doing this morning, Rise City Church? Oh, we are ready. We are ready. Hey, so we are launching into a new series today uh, because it is so true. There is something about Advent. There's something in the air, there's something in the food, there's something about the music. What is it? It's a glimpse of eternity that we get. It's a glimpse of, of the reality of Jesus. And so what I want to do today is get a theological overview, understanding the curse that we're all under, uh, and, and then what it, why there is something about Advent, because it points to Jesus, who is the curse breaker. And so it's going to start out a little heavy, okay? But I promise you, hang in there. We're going to get hopeful, and, and we're going to bring the gospel. So open a Bible. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3 with me. And in, in Galatians 3, we get this glimpse of just one area of the curse and how it's broken, but, but we're going to kind of zoom backwards from there, getting an overview. So Galatians 3, starting in verse 10, here's what it says. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, now what is this curse that's being talked about? Well, we have to kind of give some theological Old Testament background and understanding. The truth is we are all under the curse. And the curse occurred as a response to a moment theologians call the fall where humanity turned inward. Uh, Adam and Eve, our first parents, our first ancestors, were created in God's image to have perfect abiding relationship, to walk with him in the garden. And he gave one stipulation, you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, why would he put that stipulation in there? Well, the reason is, is because in order to have loving relationship, you have to have free will. You can't just like force somebody to, to, to love you. you, you we, could, we look back, we're like, oh man, like if God would have just like put Adam and Eve in the garden and like not had that tree, like it would have been great. Like we all would just be like frolicking around, eating fruit and enjoying our life for all of eternity right now. But that's, the problem is, 
in order for there to be love, there has to be choice. God does not force himself, does not force his love upon you. You have to receive it, and you have to choose to love him back. And there was this created being uh, that the scriptures call Satan or the devil, and he was originally created as a really beautiful angel, but he rebelled against God. He wanted glory for himself. He wanted to be the ruler of heaven. And so he was cast out of heaven. So when God creates the world and puts Adam and Eve in it, he creates them and gives them authority. You are the rulers of this world. And Satan comes along and he's like, I'm going to snatch power. I'm going to deceive humanity. And in doing so, a curse is going to be brought. I'm going to turn them against God. And then I get rulership over this world. John Tyson put it like this. He says, when Satan comes along, he's looking to steal the authority and right to create the culture of the world. He's looking for a place to exert his rule and reign in the human system. And so this is what he does. He deceives Eve. And Eve hands this fruit to Adam. And in this act of disobedience, they reject, they made a choice to reject God. They, they made a choice to actually trust in themselves. And so a curse is brought upon all of humanity and all of creation. These human beings who are designed to walk with God in unbroken fellowship and connection and communion, they, they had fallen from that lifted, exalted position and were now doomed to, to live in a br- broken state, a broken world apart from ongoing communion with a holy God. And, and we see the effects of the curse, and we feel it on everything. Now, this is one of the important things to understand as Christians, is, is we need a theological framework for interpreting and order, understanding what's going on with the brokenness around us, well, one that actually speaks to it. So let's, let's see how the curse's effects affected everything. First, uh, a relate, our relationships are now under the curse. One of the first responses we see in Genesis 3, 7, right after, says their eyes were opened, says, then their eyes, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Adam and Eve were previously in a state of just pure vulnerability with no shame. And immediately, one of, their, one of the responses to their sin is they feel shame and they want to hide from each other and they want to cover each other up. We see a curse that's actually laid on the relationship between Adam and Eve. It says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, desire sounds like a great word, you know? Guys are like, that's not a bad curse, you know, let's, right? Okay, uh, but the desire here is the same word used of sin, saying sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. And so it's this, it's this authority battle it says that he will rule over you. Adam and Eve were created to be in a complementary partnership with each other, side by side, ruling and reigning this world together. And now, there, now there's this power play happening. And, and this is what we feel and what, what we experience on a daily basis. When we, see, when we say men use their strength and power to dominate and abuse rather than to protect and care. This is what we see when, whenever a, a woman mocks or belittles rather than comes along building up or coming alongside. D.A. Carson, the theologian, he put it like this. Consumed by our own self-focus, we desire to dominate or manipulate others. Here is the beginning of fences. 
of rape, of greed, of malice, of nurtured bitterness, of war. And so when we look at the world and, and we ask ourselves, like, why, why so much brokenness and hate in relationship? Why did my parents have to get divorced when I was a little kid? Why is there betrayal? Why is there war? Why is there racism? Why is there abuse and segregation and slavery? Why do these things exist? We need, a, we need an answer. And, and the Bible gives us a clear answer. It's because of the curse that is upon all of this earth and all of our human relationships. Uh, our work is also under the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall be, bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. This is a theological reality. Uh, last summer, I wanted to teach my son this theological reality of thorns and thistles, so I taught him how to mow a lawn, right? The, the, the sweat of your brow, the exertion. Now, my daughter, um, I wanted her to teach her the theological reality of the new kingdom, okay? So she has a very different reality, right? So she gets those island vibes. You can see if you look at the picture, Dax is literally in the background, like, mowing the lawn. And she's like, I'm having fun. Like, welcome to life, son, okay? Right? <laughs> but, but, but seriously, we feel this. This cursed is the ground because of you. And so when we work and we toil, everything under our dominion, that was supposed to be this joyful thing, there's now thorns and thistles. You were, look, work came before the fall. Work is good. But now there's this experience over all of it where it's almost as if our work is rebelling against us. It's this glimpse of how we are to be under God's dominion and we rebelled against him. Now the thing under our dominion is rebelling against us. This is why there's thorns and thistles. This is why as we toil, we are continuously humbled as we learn this. This is why there's things like exploitation of workers, unemployment, injuries, market crashes, recessions. And yes, I get it, I get it. Crypto is unregulated, crypto is under the fall too, okay? Bitcoin is not, is not outside of the fall and the curse of humanity. All these things that we experience. And so when you experience this, and you're like, man, if God is good, why did I get fired? If God is good, why, why, uh, why do people treat me this way while I'm at work? If God is good, why don't I have this deep satisfaction? It's because it's still under the curse. We have to experience that all of it, all of it, is experiencing the shadow of sin. Raising families is under the curse. They were given this cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Man, it's this beautiful thing. But now when he, what he says to Eve is, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And so yes, this speaks to the pain of labor, but it also speaks to the deep curse of the human condition. And what I mean by that is, l listen, ladies, I, I've had conversation after conversation. Th this room is a room filled and marked by pain from trying to have kids. Uh, some of you have experienced the pain of infertility. I, I need you to hear, like, it's not, that's not how it was supposed to be. You, you, you are tasting the fall. It, you, you think, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? It's not, it, it's not you. It's the fall. It's the curse. I, I've had loved ones and friends who have lost children in the womb. 
It's a grievous moment. Why do things like this happen? It's because we live in a cursed and broken world. And we need a new reality. We need a new kingdom. All of creation is under the curse. The ground itself we see that was cursed when he says to Adam, but even in the New Testament, it looks back. And Paul in Romans, he talks about this groaning that all of creation experiences. Romans 8.20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, this is why we have the brokenness of the world around us. For we know the whole world has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is what we are experiencing when we see things like hurricanes and tornadoes that destroy cities and lives. The grief and sadness of losing a pet that was like a part of your family because we're created to rule and reign over these animals. And it's, this, this is what, it's a beautiful thing. And this is why we grieve. That's not how it was supposed to be. We grieve these moments, the constant battles with thistles and blackberry bushes that we experience on a daily basis, the devastating earthquakes that flatten cities and communities, floods and tsunamis that wipe out populations. This is the world groaning under the burden of the fall. Life itself is under the curse. Adam and Eve were, were intended and supposed to spend uh, all of eternity in, in the garden with God. But when they chose themselves and they rejected God, he, he has this act of grace. And I want you to see this. It says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Why would God say that? Why, why should he not be allowed? It's because now he's in a sinful, fallen state. And if he lived forever, if he can continue to eat of the tree of life and live forever, forever he would be in a sinful, fallen state. So it's this act of grace. that it's like, There's like grief you, see, you feel the sorrow in this. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. See, this is the moment that death entered the world. This is why there is death is because of the curse. This is why when you lose, those of you guys who have lost a parent, a friend, a family member, a child, you sit there and you're like, I just, you just feel robbed, don't you? Like it wasn't, life just, it's like, it wasn't supposed to be this way. You know why you feel that way? Because it wasn't supposed to be this way. We were supposed to be together for all of eternity. And even our connection to God is actually under the curse. No longer are Adam and Eve and Eden walking with God, but now that they have betrayed him and rejected him and chosen to love and believe in themselves, they hide in shame. And this brings us full circle to our passage in Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. See, the law is just this glimpse. It's this revealing. We're going to talk about this more next week, but it's this glimpse that, okay, if you're the only way back to God is if you just live perfectly. And, and it's a glimpse because we realize that none of us can earn a righteousness. None of us can live a perfect life. 
None of us are good enough, kind enough, pure enough, righteous enough to make ourselves worthy of being in relationship with a perfect, holy, righteous, loving God. This is why it's a curse. And so we feel that. And so the curse, it, it just has its shadow over all. Relationships, work, family, creation, life itself, connection with God are cut off, all of them. Relationships, they're now shattered. There's now distance. There's now infighting. There's now battling. Work, is, it's, it, rather than a joy, it's now a burden. And we experience the thorns and thistles of this world. Family, raising kids, it's, it's, it's now painful. It's brutal. It should be the greatest joy in life. And in some ways, it is. But it also, there's this grief and this suffering in it. All of creation is growing. Life itself has moved to death, and our connection with God is cut off, and there's this distance. Gary Brashear surmises it like this. Adam and Eve decided to make their own choices against God's loving command. Sin and shame brought spiritual death, and they hid from the Lord. Physical death destroyed the unity of the living person. The ground was devastated and cursed because of human sin. Relationship was ruined. Everything and everyone that God made good was infected, polluted, and corrupted. And you read this and you're like, man, it's almost like the serpent won. It's like, yeah, he, he, it's like he won. But here's what's incredible about this passage where we're reading about the curses. This is, here in Genesis 3.15, this is known as the Proto-Evangelion. Proto, like prototype, meaning the first. Evangelion, meaning gospel. In the midst of the curse is the first time that God declares the gospel. I want you to see it. It's in the curse to, to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed your offspring, your child, and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God is declaring, but guess what? The woman one day will have a seed. She will have an offspring, and he will be the serpent crusher. He will break the curse once and for all. He will land the final blow. And all throughout, as you read the Old Testament, what you see over and over is these glimpses forward to the coming seed, the coming offspring. Even in Nehemiah, which is this story about a prophet rallying these people to rebuild the wall around their city, there's this line, yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. How does God turn a curse into a blessing? Well, I can tell you how. It's because Jesus became the curse. And Jesus took this on. This is, what, this is why the gospel is so incredible. It's not just, oh, yep, you're forgiven now. No, no, Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus became cursed so that we could now have relationship and begin to see all of the world, all of these things start to be restored. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Okay, so that word redeemed, redemption, it points to the payment of the price to set sinners free. It's actually a war term. When, when, when two sides are at war and one side wins, uh, they go in and they collect all the survivors, 
And those who they thought were worthless or kind of the, you know, the lowborn, um, they would sell into slavery. But there was a group of people who they were like, oh, somebody would pay for you. Somebody would, somebody would, would, would pay to set you free. And so they set the price. They would hold them at rans ransom, and they would set this price. And so when the people of, the, of their homeland, maybe their family members or loved ones, they would raise the money to pay that price. They would go to the victor, and they would pay to set the captives free. You know what this process is called? It's called redemption. And the price was called the ransom. So when it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse, what it's saying is Jesus came and paid the price to set you free. And what was the price? What was the price? It was his life. Jesus, he was the ransom. He was the cost. By taking the curse of the world, the sin of all humanity, the brokenness of the universe upon himself and becoming a curse for us. This is why the gospel is amazing. Jesus, this is why the life that he lived is so important. Because when, when he came to earth, you, you realize that he, he subjected himself to the curse that we brought upon ourselves. All, all of it. You think about the relational curse. Did Jesus experience the relational curse? You better believe he did. He was mocked, he was spit upon, he was betrayed by one of his own disciples for a bag of silver. His closest friend, you think about Peter, James, and John, these were his closest friends on earth. Peter did not, when, when Christ needs him most to be by his side, Peter, Peter denies him, Peter buckles. And Jesus sees it, imagine even emotionally what that felt like. If, if in your deepest sorrow, your friends betray you, turn again, like, oh, no, I don't, I don't know her. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know that person. I don't even know what you're talking about. Man, Jesus suffered that and experienced that. Even think about the curse on, that is on childbearing. Yeah, he did not give birth to a child, but he was a child. Think about the humiliation of that. The creator of the universe who holds the world in his hands couldn't even feed himself had to be coddled and, 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 and held in a blanket, had to be warmed from the cold. He was feeble and he was weak. You know why he experienced that? Because he loves you. Because he wants to set you free from that. He experienced the curse of work for the first 30 years of his life. At some point, he learned a trade as a carpenter. And I guarantee you at some point, those nail-scarred hands, before they were nail-scarred hands, they were calloused and full of slivers and pain. And the irony should not be lost on us that what he was killed upon was, was, an, was, a, was a cross that was crafted by a carpenter. It's like he spent his whole life training, building the kind of things that ultimately would kill him. He experienced the curse. Jesus experienced the curse upon the earth as he walked through the dirt and he had storms pour down upon him. He tasted the curse of death as he took his final breath and the eternal and immortal God laid in the grave. And he experienced the curse of spiritual cosmic disconnection from his father. He was in perfect loving unison and connection with his father for, his old, for all of 
eternity. And yet in taking our sin upon him, this is why he cries out at the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he gets a taste of the cost of death. That death ultimately, yes, it's a physical death, and Jesus experienced a physical death, but death is separation from our creator. And Jesus, he experienced separation from his father. And you know why he did this? To undo our shame. To undo our failure. Um, my favorite piece of art, sorry about that, my favorite piece of art that I've ever seen uh, is this picture of Eve and Mary. Eve is holding her shame in her hand. If you want me to switch up to a mic, I will. Eve is holding her shame in her hand. And you see Mary draw near and draw close and put her hand on her face and reach out her hand and stick it on her belly. And, and if you can see it, I want you to just look down at Mary's feet. She's, she's crushing the head of the serpent that is still wrapped around Eve. This is what Jesus brings. Go to that next picture that zooms in. It's just this, it's this, it's this sketch, this amateur sketch. This moves me when I see it because I find myself in that place of shame. I find myself in that place of guilt, and you know what I need? I need to remember that a Savior is born. This is why Christmas is so moving for us. This is why Christmas is such a powerful reality that we, can, that we can walk in. Martin Luther put it like this. Whatever sins I, you, all of us have committed or shall commit, they are Christ's sins, as if he had committed them himself. Our sins have to be Christ's sins or we shall perish forever. What, Mar what the reformer Martin Luther is saying is Christ took your sins upon him. Past, present, and future. This is what's so incredible. He bears the curse by becoming the curse. He bears our sin by becoming our sin. And what's so amazing is he's still God. So he is outside of time. So guess what? The sins he took from your past, he also has moved all the way into the future. He's already paid for those. This is, this is what's so incredible about the power of the gospel. And this is why it's our pathway back to relationship with God. Our it is salvation in Christ and Christ alone. We do not earn our way out of the curse. We do not earn our own freedom because he redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse on our behalf. Think about the thief on the cross. It's this incredible picture. I don't know if you realize this, but, but at the cross, there's actually three crosses and Jesus is in the middle one. And, and there are these two thieves on the side. And, they, and one of them is mocking Jesus the whole time. Like, oh, look at you. Yeah, if you're really, you're really who you say you are, you would get down from this cross, but you're not. And the other, the other is defending Jesus. And he sits there and he's like, seriously, do, do not, we deserve this, but he does not. He is holy and he is righteous. And he looks at Jesus. He says, says would you remember me? when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him, and what he says is, today you will be with me in paradise. And we need this reality. There's a theologian, Alistair Begg, and he gives this beautiful, brilliant illustration talking about this thief on the cross. And how, you know, we have this apologetics questions, maybe you've heard it. If you were to die today, what would you say? 
And he argues that if we answer in the first person, because I, we've gone wrong. Because I was good enough. Because I was righteous. Because I had faith. Because I came to church. Whatever it is, if we answer in the first person, we've got it wrong. We have to answer in the third person because he. Because he is righteous. Because he saved me. Because he is good. And this is why the thief on the cross is so incredible and it feels scandalous, right? Like, I'm, like I just want to talk to that guy one day. I just be like, dude, how'd you pull that off, man? Like literally at the very end. You know, and I just like a, like picture him entering into the kingdom of heaven, and the angel comes and he's like, "What do you do? Like, what do you, you're not in the book? Like, what do you, like what are you doing here?" And he's like, I, "Like, how'd you get here?" And he's like, "I don't, I don't know." And the angel's like, I, what? "He's like, hang on, let me get my, get, let me get my supervisor. Like, come over, get supervisor, angel." And he comes and he starts asking the real questions, like, "Are you clear on the doctrine of salvation by faith and faith alone?" And he's like, "I've never heard of it." Like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, what do, you, what do you mean you never heard of it? And he starts asking, did you say the sinner's prayer? Did you have any clar- clarity on the inerrancy of scripture and sound theology? Just tell me the Romans road. Just like walk me through it. Show me a tithing record, okay? Tell me you read the prayer, Jabez. Sing amazing grace. Give me something. <laughs> and then finally he looks at him and he just says, on what grounds do you think you belong here? And the thief on the cross says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the gospel, you guys. We can't earn our way. It has to be Jesus. And this is what is so powerful. This is why moments and days like this of celebrating new lives of baptism is so powerful because it's nothing we've done. It's not our own righteousness. We've not not been good enough. We've not earned any of this. It's all the work of Jesus. The man on the middle cross is the one who says we we can come. And he became a curse for us so that the curse could be broken, so it could be shattered. But what we have to now do is we have to walk free of the curse's captivity. We actually have to walk in it. This is why later in Galatians, at the end of the chapter, it says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We put him on. We wear him. There's this story I read about, he's known as the soldier who kept fighting. His name was Hiro Onoda. He was a Japanese army intelligence officer during World War II. And uh, him and his, uh, you know, p- p- his battalion that he was with, they went into one of the islands on the Philippines, a small island called Lubang. And uh, a lot of the comrades that he was with were captured. And he escaped, and he went and hid in the jungle. And he, he set up this camp and kind of booby-trapped it, and he had his weapons and he would go to these local farm, these villages, and he would steal eggs, and he would steal food, and he, he would steal ammunition if he could, and he just kept hiding in this jungle. And at one point, after the war was over, 
the, United, the Japanese had surrendered, and the United States actually, uh, actually dropped these thousands, millions of pamphlets all over these islands, and written in Japanese, explaining that the war was over, that Japan had surrendered, and that you, if you were in hiding, you can come out now. But when he got it, he read it, and he believed it was a trick. He heard the war was over, but he didn't believe it, so he continued to fight, and he continued to hide. And he remained in hiding for 29 years after the war had ended, having no idea that the war was done. He was 83 years old when he finally surrendered. And they said he, he was weeping uncontrollably when he finally laid down his arms. He tried to move on to normal life, but the world had gone on without him. He went back to Japan and ultimately ended up moving to Brazil where he, where he passed away. But I need you to hear this. The, the war had long been over, but he had to actually walk out of the jungle to live in the new reality, and he never did. And so we live in what theologians would call an already but not yet kingdom. And so when Jesus came, and he died upon the cross, and he rose from the dead, he ushered in an already kingdom. There is a spiritual reality that the curse is broken, but we live in a not yet kingdom because we haven't seen the full fulfillment of it. We will see the full fulfillment of it when he comes back, and he ushers in no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. And so when we read through the scriptures, we need this lens of already but not yet. And so I just want you to see these realities, theological realities, as you're reading through. You'll see things like we're already adopted in Christ. That's our spiritual stance. But we're not yet adopted because we're not yet a part of his eternal family in eternity. And so you see this language even in, even in Romans 8. We're already redeemed in Christ, yet we're not yet redeemed. So we've been set free spiritually, but we're not set free from sin's presence. We're already sanctified in Christ, but we're not yet perfected, are we? We're not yet fully sanctified. We're already saved, but we're not yet saved. There's these three tenses in Scripture. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. You're being saved from the power of sin, but you one day will be saved from the presence of sin. You, you're seeing this already, not yet, okay? Already raised with Christ spiritually, but we're not yet in his kingdom. We're not yet raised with Christ. And so there's a theological tension that we have to hold, that by faith in Christ, all of these spiritual blessings, adoption, redemption, sanctification, salvation, being raised with Christ, they are already ours, it's a spiritual reality, but the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet here. And here's what I need to say. The curse has been broken, but we still have to walk out of the jungle and live in the new reality. Uh, the pamphlet, and we, we can read it, and we can say, no, the war is over. It's already been won. But we have to walk in this new reality of what Christ has bought for us while we wait upon the full restoration at the return of Christ. Now, but now the f that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of, 
as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See, this is why baptism is such a beautiful, powerful celebration. Because it's a symbol, it's a picture of what Jesus has done. That my old self is buried and done and over and it's left in the grave. But I want to come out of the jungle. I want to live in this new reality and experience these spiritual blessings and experience the power of Christ here on earth. And so what do we do with this tension of understanding that there is a curse and it's broken, but it's already not yet? We need to interpret life aware of the curse. We need to allow a theological understanding of the curse to bring clarity to the pain that we face. But... We need to live life as sons of God through faith. We need to actually walk in it, that we are son, walk in our sonship to let us live with power. And so you, you see this played out in relationships. We still feel the lingering effects of the curse, gossip and wounds and betrayal, do we not? So we need a, an interpretation uh, that says, man, this is why this is happening but we can put on Christ and live in a new way in these relationships. Because we have received the love of God, we can be a people who walk in love saying the curse has no power over us anymore. The only power it has is what we allow it to have because we are, new, we are now new in Christ. In our work, like we still have thorns and thistles and work by the sweat of our brow. You're still gonna lose your job and face unemployment. You're still going to get chewed out by customers. You're still going to see the market crash. But we have to understand that now we're partnering together with God in building a new world, that ushering in the kingdom, an eternal kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our role. That's what we participate in. Man, in raising kids, Yes, we will suffer pain and hardship. We will suffer miscarriages and rebellious children. But we know our raising our children is not in vain. We are equipping them and raising them up and empowering them for an eternal reality that they can walk in and live in, an eternal family that they can be part of, that they are God's workmanship and we get to steward them for the kingdom. Do you see this? This is the theological reality we must live in. And interacting with God's creation, is it fallen and broken? Yes. We feel that in the Pacific Northwest as around November, the, the sky starts weeping for months on end, right? <laughs> the darkness falls around 4 p.m. And you're like, I think it's bedtime. This is the fall. But you guys, we are the rulers of, the, of God's creation. Called to care for it knowing the beautiful theology that this world will one day re be renewed, that Eden will be restored. And we get to partner with God in caring for his wounded creation. And this curse of death, we will grieve and mourn the temporary loss of those that we love. As Paul writes elsewhere, yes, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. Because when Jesus walked out, that, out of that grave, he declared, death has no power anymore. It has no more sting. It has no lasting victory. It is only temporary. And in our connection to God, yes, we fall short. 
and we feel disconnected and we feel alone and we feel distance, but we now have full access to God through Christ to enter into his presence, to celebrate. And you're gonna experience something today as we celebrate these baptisms. You know why it's so powerful? Because the sky opens up and heaven and earth become one. And we rejoice with this great cloud of witnesses, the power of transformation and new life. All our lives, we've experienced the curse of the fall the shadow that sin cast upon this wounded world. But with the arrival of Jesus, hope came down. Love drew near. Our king came to conquer. And he declared that death will be no more. Shame will be undone. For with the advent of Jesus, the curse is broken. Lord, we worship you today. We worship with our voices We worship with our celebration, and we worship with our very lives. Let us be a people who walk out of the jungle into the new reality that says the curse is no more, that you have broken its power. And so, yes, we still feel its shadow, but there is a sun rising, bringing life and hope and redemption to all of life. Would we be a people who walk in that in hope, in grace, in life? Lord, would, would our church truly be a light in this dark world, declaring with all that we have that the curse is no more and that Jesus is king? And all God's people said,